everyone welcome back to another episode of the weekly scrubbed in podcast i hope you've been enjoying all our most recent episodes today is a super special one we've got another amazing um, and inspirational guest um, i'm going to cut straight to the chase because there's a lot we need to discuss so today we have with us dr kil jagida who is the founder of ma maternal aid association um, and it's a charity close to all of our hearts today um, primarily because we are doing a lot of stuff we are doing primarily off the back of Ma. Um, so we'll get straight into it. Akil, introduce yourself. Thank you for coming on to the show. No, thanks for you. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be scrubbed in. Oh. See what you did there. I like that. <laughs> I do like that. So um, let's take it straight back. Um, a lot of people that follow Ma, it's on Instagram. Check it out. See what they do. They're really doing cutting edge, really cool stuff. Let's take it all to the beginning. Why Ma? Where did Ma start from and why are we here today? I think, especially, you know, speaking to both of you who are one of the sole reasons why Ma is so successful, um, it goes back to when we were, I, you know what, I'll even take it back to secondary school life, yeah. if that's cool. Um, but, you know, we had always that passion to medicine, myself and you, Abdul, we always wanted to do medicine, but we didn't know what medicine, uh, the route was really. Mm. Even when it came to UCAS applications, Let's be honest, myself and you, we didn't know what the UCAS application was, but we we had this this desire to do medicine. We wanted to get out there, get in and become doctors, really. And um, came exam results and everything like that. And we knew that you had to be the creme de la creme to get into this career. But our school didn't produce a lot of medics. It was probably one every year or one every few years Mm. and and that's the statistics that we had to fight to get Mm. into medicine and I remember specifically in year nine Mm. when I went into a parents meeting with my dad Mm. and the teacher said that his predicted grades are C's Mm. and we both know that ain't ready for medicine Um, but what I got hurt most uh, despite the fact my dad being an Asian dad and giving me the frown of a lifetime um (laughs) was that someone was limiting you. It was putting you in a mm. position where you're limited. Mm. So I wanted to prove that teacher wrong and I worked very hard. And at the end of it, I did get quite high grades mm. and they were good enough for medicine. And then we went to the same sixth form. So we mm. went to year 12 and this no, this motion came into me, this thought came into my head that I got these good grades because I'm gifted, mm. not because I worked hard for it. Yeah, And that was something that became a very defining point in my life which was the start of my deceleration I would say and when I went into year 12 it was the end of year exams and I just studied for a day because I thought it was gifted and I imagined the maze in my on, my on my face when I came out with the highest grade being a D mm-hmm. of year 12 but I still had this thought of going to medicine and my teacher is he was a deputy head teacher he sat with me he said like you still think you're ready to go into year 13 you still think you should go to medicine I said yeah fine I can do this uh, I'll just you know do the year 12 exams again and I'll do year 13 at the same time and I'll, I'll, I'll get the grades and what do you what grades do you apply with with D as your highest like I had I think it was D D C and a U mm. or something like that mm. Um, so I applied for uh, Cambridge Imperial UC oh, you had some serious <laughs> like I, I, I was there. I, so like I remember then <laughs> you used D's and E's to apply to those unis. Yeah. No, but you know what? But then like like regardless of that, like Akil was determined. Like I remember sitting there watching him submit and pick Cambridge and Oxford and all the like maddest universities. 
I obviously opted out. I knew my limits. I stayed in my lane. You don't snake. But even stayed in his But place. even from that early age, he knew where he wanted to go, where he wasn't. And regardless of his environment, he kind of, you know, I saw in my own eyes him clicking that. So, um, yeah, continue. So I applied for all those universities. And then imagine the the shock on my face when rejection letters were coming one after. <laughs> how dare they, how dare they reject you with your D's and E's. But I thought, okay, fair. I got rejected for all these universities. And, um, Abdul was always the smartest in the school. He was yeah. like very like. There's a picture up of Ad- Abdul in your school. <laughs> yeah, I went to school recently. Picture. I just see that picture of Abdul still there after like seven years. <laughs> He's not had another <laughs> successful student since. <laughs> so Abdul's always been that smart, and he he got his grade to uh, his offer to King's Medicine, and um, I'll be honest with you, Abs. I used to always like you know because Abs uh, Abdul was the smartest mm-hmm. kid. I was like, no, I want to be. I want to mm-hmm. compete with the smartest kid. Yeah. So I would, I would try to compete with Abdul, but Abdul was at a different well, level. That's why he didn't tell you not to apply to those <laughs> He knew why. I was the plan. He didn't stop you. No, but to be fair, Kim was like, with there with me at the top anyway. So, nah, yeah. so um, I thought, okay, that's not a problem. What I'm going to do is I'm going to smash out my exams and I'm going to get A stars or A's yeah. at that time, I think it was. And I'll get into medicine. Mm. So, but this, the thought I had in my head of, uh, being gifted and not working hard was still there mm. and I again left it to last minute and imagined results day when I'm going again with my dad <laughs> I get a piece of paper and I see the following grades B, B and C yeah and I was like then I checked the name I was like is this correct <laughs> like is this 100% correct <laughs> and I got B, B, C and then my dad he just looked at my face and he knew something was wrong like yeah. my son didn't get the grades yeah yet. But I thought, nah, forget this. I'm still gonna, I'm gonna still do my bit. So I start calling up universities for clearing. Mm. So I called Kings up, I called the Imperial up, and I said, do you do clearing? And they, they said, yeah, we do clearing for a few subjects. I was like, do you do it for medicine? Mm. He goes, medicine. <laughs> this is a good ten years ago, by the way. Yeah. Like, do you do it for medicine? I was like, yeah. Do you do clearing for medicine? Like, no, we don't do clearing for medicine. Then I was so like lost. I didn't know what to do. So I went to Saint George's Hospital. Mm. Yeah. And I went to the volunteer section there because I used to volunteer at St. Yeah. George's. And I went there and I said, listen, do you hand out office for me? For me? You think <laughs> the medical degree is just you, given out? Do you hand out office for medicine? Mm. And they go, no, not really. But if you want to do, you know, give some, give out some tea and coffee to the patients, you're more welcome. <laughs> yeah. And I'm walking back and then I thought, okay, the last university on the list. Yeah. Let me just give them a call. And it was Cambridge. Mm. So I gave Cambridge a call and I was like, hi, I can't find your clearing number. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no>, okay. okay. <laughs> and uh, they were like, yeah, because we don't have a clearing number. And I was like, okay, one second. But I just want to ask, mm. do you do clearing? Mm. He goes, no, but do you do it for medicine? Mm. <laughs> and she goes, I've never heard of a clearing position for medicine at Cambridge mm. University. Mm. And I said, one second, do you know my grades? Yeah. And she goes, okay, just tell me, okay, what did you get? And I was like, I got BBC. But <laughs> I said, that's not the question. The thing is, I, I'm solely devoted to medicine. I'm going to go into become a doctor. And whatever field I go into, I promise mm. you, I'll be the best in that field. Mm. And then I'm just selling myself on the phone. And she goes, listen, Akil, I, I praise you for your, your passion. And I wish you all the best. But today, I can't give you an offer for medicine. So I'm like, oh, crap. Okay. So I walk back. And then we had connections back in the days mm-hmm. before we got cut. And I went in and I was like, okay, these are the grades I have. I want to get into medicine. What should we do? 
And they said, look, let's be honest, I don't think medicine's the right career for you. Mm. And when I heard that from, and connections were very um, supportive. Established. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, established, they were supportive. And when I heard that from, from them, that like really disheartened me. And I wouldn't say I'm a really religious person at that, at, when I was at that point. And, um, but when you're at the mm. bottom of the, of the power you you don't know what to yeah. do religious or not you're asking someone you're asking yeah. a being mm. for help right mm. and i asked god for help and i was like just show me a sign and the next day i went back to, back into my school and this teacher came uh, he was the new head of sixth form and his name is mr reese mm. and you know there's that one teacher that just changes mm. everything for you mm. um it was it was pretty much him who who helped me a lot and i said sir uh, you probably saw me last year. I'm here again. Yeah. <laughs> Bit stuck here. I said, I have this passion for medicine and I want to get into it. And he goes, okay, have you thought of biomed and getting in? I said, sir, I don't even have the grades for biomed. <laughs> he goes, okay, you know what? I'll give you one more chance. Yeah. But you need to get your um, the permission from the following teachers. Yeah. And I remember going to every single one of those teachers and almost like begging them, like, mm. just give me one more chance, I'll make it happen. They go, listen, you got BBC, I don't think it's going to happen. As mm. in to stay there one more year to repeat? Yeah, okay. to repeat. Um, and at the end, they accepted it. And that year, I worked my socks off. This thought, this uh, this this belief I had that I was gifted went right out the window because mm. I, be- I was humbled and I was humbled fast. Yeah. And then I realized whatever I had, it was because of dedication and hard work that I was able to accomplish it. And that year, whenever school finished at three, school didn't finish at three for me, it finished at six or seven because I would go back to the library and I would sit there and I'll do my revision. Yeah. And most of these teachers would stay afterwards as well and I'll say, sir, just stay a bit longer for me. I just want to go through X, Y, Z. And other students got a bit motivated by that and mm. then they would come in and I would see some students who go through the same journey as I was, yeah. <clears throat> which was, they were on the route to fail. Mm. And then I would like to say, listen, let's let's sit together. Let's make this happen. Let's go through each subject one by one. We went through each subjects and eventually uh, they did well and I did I did well. And I applied to medicine again, but I was a lot more uh, reserved with the applications I made. And one yeah. of them was King's College. And I got my offer from them. Uh, had a scholarship from the EDF Trading from that mm. year. Got the Diana Award. So that year, which was started off as a really bad flipped and became one like you know a year that I was quite proud of mm. anyway got finally into medicine mm. no but i think before that i think that year for my side it was i remember you you know you called me afterwards with, with the stuff you did calling st george's going and kind of trying your best again and it felt so me and Eki, we always done things as a pair you know we were in the same form group you know 7p all the way even up until now so it was probably one of the most heartbreaking and difficult thing for me mm. to see on the other end of I got into medicine and I killed it and, and your dad was so nice that day and he came and he congratulated me and like there wasn't any resentment and he's like, do you know what, you smash it and you know, Akil will, you, he'll get into medicine and he'll do it in his own way. And that year was like, it became a bit sour for me to kind of see you and you know, we were young, 11, 12 and you kind of grow up. Um, so that kind of affected me and but I think for you it was the year I saw you change from just a standard person to someone a bit more you developed as an individual a lot more and I think that was probably the groundwork for the stuff that was to come later the the traits were there though for you to always be the person you are today I mean you called up every university you were willing 
to go out your way and go and almost demand a place on medicine they're traits for someone who's determined who's ambitious and who's going who's very goal orientated so i think everyone has these traits to be honest mm. you know when you're at the bottom and mm. you have nothing else mm. to do when you hit your lowest point you're open to the biggest change right mm. and when i knew that i hit rock bottom and there was no one else that could help me i had to either fight my way through mm. to get this dream mm. or i had to give up that dream but that's what it is you you refuse to accept and divert mm. you you just refuse to accept it at all and mm. i'm going to get what i mm. want yeah maybe. and i can testify to abdul feeling lonely without you man because i remember i was the um, ambassador for when you uh, being and he was he was like to me oh my best mate is coming in man make sure you look after him yeah. he's sitting in so in that classroom like <laughs> Tell him, tell him, tell him I'm waiting for him. <laughs> I still remember that. So, so yeah, I came the first day, and the first person I met in yeah. uni was Abs. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought he was a he was a one A as well, right? Yeah. I'd be like, oh, the, oh yeah, are you yeah. Abs' uh, friend? Oh, I know you. I saw you. But you know when you go in, most of the people that I thought I won't be chilling with became mm. some of my closest friends. Because mm. on that day as well, I was sitting right next to someone called Usman, mm. yeah. who's a trustee of my. and part of the journey of making master successful mm. as well mm. and i remember the first day i was sitting mm. next to him the first thing he said to me is like oh the new iphone's coming out today and i thought oh my god <laughs> what <laughs> am i walked into <laughs> what am i who am i with or what am i going on mm. and then i see someone called sammy who was i know was on this post- yeah, podcast yeah. as well and i'm thinking this guy is very pretentious and xyz yeah. but he's such a humble individual <laughs> yeah, right yeah see uh, like but you need to get to know him to see yeah. that side like he's always helping and everything like that Yeah. I, I, so but I was going through the first year of medical school mm. and I found it honestly quite tough. Mm. Because you had the freshers week and you had the fun and everything like that, right? Mm. But suddenly you're being bombarded with X amount of yeah. lectures yeah. and coursework and assignments. Very quickly, all of a and I think I was a bit uh because I was in this new environment of being around cra- grammar school and private school students, it does give you a sense of am I worthy to become a doctor almost because I don't have all the past experience as they do or having me prepped to the level they have. Yeah. So you're playing a lot of catch up game maybe at certain points. Maybe this is just me. And I almost became lost of why I was doing medicine because I I worked so hard to get into medicine. I forgot why am I doing medicine. And eventually I did pass. I did get uh, I did quite well um at the end of the first foundation year, but we had that very long break of being 3 months or even 3 and a half months. Mm. And one morning I woke up with this white light one light bulb idea which is I need to go to Bangladesh. And I think you both know that we're, we're quite impulsive as it especially yeah, myself yeah. and I. So me and oh. I've got a bit more control. Yeah, so me and Akil <laughs> are the the worst mix to ever have and we're toxic in the fact that we're very impulsive like you know if we say we're going to do something best believe it will be done or like if we you know if we're going to go somewhere we'll catch a flight and go there. Um But yeah, that's our nature. Yeah. And that was probably an example of it. You just catch and flight going Bangladesh. Definitely. Like being impulsive has a lot of good traits, but also has a bit of Of course. Oh, yeah, so I, I need to admit that. <laughs> has a few of the bad traits. But in this one, it was a particularly good one mm. to have. Mm. So I woke up in the morning, I spoke to my dad. I said, dad, I need to go to Bangladesh. He, and my dad has always been very supportive. He said, you know what, son, go to Bangladesh by yourself. It's fine. And I went there and then there's that famous story of how Ma was started I know both of mm. you've heard it and a few people have heard it and uh it's one of the reasons why I was able to bring so many students together mm. uh and create Ma to the level it is because this is one story 
and this story became the defining point. It changed everything in my life. The way I saw life and what I wanted to achieve from life and what I wanted to make sure that uh, the speciality I go into, mm-hmm. it changed everything. So I was in a village uh, called Silit. Mm. And one day I get a call saying, Akil, do you want to come see surgery today? And I was like, yeah, 100%. And I was a bit apprehensive because I've never seen surgery before. But I went in with my clinical clothes and I see the operating theatre in front of me and before entering, we all know the basics, right? We've seen Hobby mm. City, Casualty, you need to scrub in, mm. like the show. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but a nurse came up to me and said, you don't have to do this. And I was like, what do you mean I don't have to scrub in? I was like, don't you want me to change my clothes, my mm. shoes, you know, uh, mm. get ready for the appropriate surgery? Because no. It's like, is there anything you would like me to do? He says, well, you can just wash your hands if you want. And I was already hit by that. Even though I was quite junior, I was just a, a first year medical student turning into a second year medical student. I knew that was an immediate red flag. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I continued washing my hands and I changed my shoes and uh, they told me to wear the barter sandals. Yeah. So I wore the barter sandals and I went to the operating theatre. It was a, a large room mm-hmm. and just to describe the room, it was dim, there were things cluttered away. I swear I saw a cat running around <laughs> and in the middle were two heavily pregnant mothers, one conscious, one unconscious. Now, the unconscious mother, she was in a very critical condition. So all the doctors were huddled around her. And the lead surgeon, she was a female. And they were going to perform a cesarean. And as you do, mm-hmm. she sliced the abdomen. And it's a bit gruesome, I do apologise. But blood started pouring all over her. Her sour kameez, her bare foot, her butter sandals. And she's pulling and tugging away. And at that point, I was seeing everything. But then she looks at me and she goes, Hey you, if you want to see this, come to the front. And she almost drags me to the mm-hmm. front. And I'm looking inside uh, my first ever surgery. And then she looks at me again. She goes, hey, you, what year are you in? And I said, I'm a first year medical student. She goes, you're not even third year. And now certain surgeries need you to be a certain grade just yeah. because of the intensity. And mm. I said, no, I'm not, but don't worry, I'm fine. I can, mm. I can be here with the rest. And she goes, no, go take a seat. Mm. And I go, no, I'm fine. But she was, she was clearly livid. And she said, no, you have to go take a seat and then you can come back in. Mm. So I reluctantly and... Uh, go to the corner of the room, I take a seat. And at that point, and I still remember to this day, I was speaking to myself and I said, Akil, the reason why you came to Bangladesh uh, was to come and see the healthcare system here. And maybe the entire reason why you came here is to see this one particular surgery. So get back up and go back uh, to the table. So I went back to the table and eventually she puts her hand in. And I promise you, it was as if time had stopped because I knew something pure, something innocent was about to come into this world. And a beautiful baby boy comes out. Mm. A nurse comes with a metal tray and she places that baby on the metal tray. The nurse comes with the metal tray and she places it on the table right next to me. And then I realise something was wrong. I look over that tray and I see a dead baby lying there. Mm. I hear the dad crying from the corridor because he just found out his baby boy passed away and his wife is bleeding to death. Yeah. And while all, whilst all this was happening, do you remember the other heavily pregnant mother she was conscious and she witnessed every second of that and she went through the same surgery a couple of minutes later. And at that point, being a so-called tough person or whatever you want to call it, I promise you, no sane person would be able to take another second of that. Mm. And I left the, the, the hospital. I was walking next to the busy Bangladeshi bazaars and I thought to myself, I said, Akil, you can either say that the mothers in Bangladesh have it tough or you can do something about it. And so I came back to the UK and 
you probably realize I didn't start Ma Ma straight away. Mm. It took me one year to start it up. Yeah. Why did it take me a year? Because I didn't have the courage to start up straight away. Because you, now being a bit more mature, I realize a lot of things that we stop ourselves from doing is ourselves. Mm. It's yeah. because that we do not have the courage to go forward and to make it happen. Yeah. So it took me one year just to get mentally prepared and just say, you know what? Let's just take the first step. Mm. Yeah. And it was the summer of 2015, uh, I decided to take the first step, which was go to my library and do research. Because that's the first thing anyone should do. You should do research in the field. And I would go to, it it was Ramadan at that time, and I would go to my local library and I would look up anything to do with global maternal health. I would literally open up Google and write global maternal health Bangladesh and then read up every single paper I could find mm. and I found out that what I saw was quite common 99% of maternal deaths happen in a developing world that equates to 830 deaths every single day mm. but the sad and shocking news is 90% of these deaths are completely preventable mm. now my local library wasn't so local it was about an hour and a half walk away mm. and it was a summer's day it was Ramadan and I didn't have the money for the bus fare as well mm. so I would walk an hour and a half to the library an hour and a half back but there were three hours, I promise you, were the most blessed times because I would think to myself, I would say, so the question arose, okay, what can you do right now? Mm. Because you, you're you not a doctor, you're not an expert in global health, you don't even have a degree, mm-hmm. you're just a medical student. And the answer that came to me is that right now, I can connect. Mm. I can find like-minded students who have the same passion for global health and changing this this horrible model that's in, in place at the moment and find professors who are leading and doctors who are leading in this field and connect them together and let's see if we can make something from it. Mm-hmm. And my first step was going to King's College and I came to my closest people, which include both of you, and I said to both of you and I said, this is the idea I have, would you run with it? Mm-hmm. And now we're here at this point where we've su- supported so many mothers. Um, actually, you know what? Maybe from your experience, how did, because how did Mark come to you for? So I think um, for the f- so I think you are working on Mark behind the scenes. You're doing your bit, like you said. You're kind of researching it, and me being me, I was oblivious to all kind of enjoying med school for what it is. Um, and I think we were in the library once, and then you must have been talking about some Mark. To, 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 I think it was Ali at the time, and then. And I was like, yeah, safe, let me join, whatever. And I said it in jest. I said it as in like, just to annoy you, it. Like, yeah, safe. You know what I mean? So, and then you were like, yeah, let's c- come down to the first meeting. At that time, I don't think, I think you had a few people, but there wasn't any structure. There, it, it, nothing was set in stone. And then I kind of saw it. And it, it, you, I don't think you said the story that time, but you kind of saw like, okay, fine. He had a vision. This is what I want to do. Okay, this is quite cool. Let me get involved. He's my mate. Let me help him out. And that, from then kind of sparked it all and it we just got deeper and deeper and deeper and the good thing was it was very receptive like a lot of people were receptive to it and i think we sat down and we kind of said you know let's put some structure to it let's get the right people for the right job so i think your skill asset if if you were to ask people what your talent is or if you were to ask me what you're very good at you you are like richard branson you have the knack to find the right people for the right job that's always been you, your skill, your asset. At the time I was running finance, AMS was part of academia. You knew who you need to get to get that job done and you did it very well. Mm. 
Um, I don't know how it was for you, Amza, how we pitched it to you. Because me and yeah. I remember Akil when, you know, Akil's a big, you love the whiteboard, pen and paper, we're old school like that. There's been times where we were drawing numbers on the table instead yeah. of paper. And we had a list of people and names and then you're obviously the first one for mm. academia. Uh, I remember Akil told me about the idea and the concept before he approached me initially. Um, and I thought, wow, it was super ambitious. I thought, at the time I remember thinking, how can you be so ambitious? Like, mm. this is such a huge task. Um, but I remember the developments with it. And then when I was approached, I just remember, because I always wanted to give back to our community. Mm. I always wanted to do that. And I was always going to serve. But then the way Akil offered the opportunity, the way Ma offered the op- opportunity was, you can do what you, you can have the impact you want to make. Mm. This is our goal. And can you support us with whatever way? What is the way that you can support us? And so the way I saw it was, it's not just me being another number and just helping and being involved. It was now, can I be part of an innovative team and come up with something new, something, something different and something that was a project that was going to change the whole scope of healthcare pretty much mm. and today it's well on its way um, so I think it was the opportunity to be part of something where I can have a true impact mm. um, so I remember to get you on board myself and uh, Abdul we pitched like we were doing the pitching with one another to yeah. get to get yeah. you on board <laughs> um, even though we were mates and I know yeah, you'll yeah. support me but when it comes to Ma and this type of yeah, work yeah, we yeah. always want to take it seriously mm. so even the way we pitched it to you it was rehearsed where, where it's yeah. like okay um, just, he's always been the academic high flyer top centile student this is someone that Ma needs right now like this is this is, Ma, Ma needs Amza's brain really yeah. um, and it was the fact that I believe that students were more than fundraising like we were doing a lot of work in, in the mm. students sphere mm. but it was a lot attached to fundraising I wanted to think okay I think students have this massive uh, power let's say behind them mm. but they're almost oblivious to it because they're only used for the one aspect of fundraising let's give students the opportunity to create something and with the promise that we will implement that model as well Uh, so that's why we created the academic and innovations Mm -hmm. team which you were the the first head of Um, then it was how do we make sure that Bangladesh is being receptive to this Mm -hmm. uh, to Mm -hmm. our ideas and I wanted to make it a grassroots intervention. It wasn't just partnering with a charity there and, and providing funds to that charity. Mm, yeah. I wanted to make sure there was uh, a group of individuals who were equally passionate uh, uh, yeah. about, about Ma. So I went to the first ever, straight after creating Ma, I went on straight another trip to Bangladesh. And I met that individual, that doctor who invited me first to the first surgery, mm-hmm. who was Dr. Wakar. Mm. And I explained to him the idea and we said, let's, let's make this happen. And he was a junior doctor at the moment. And he was well connected with the medical students from different uh, uh, medical schools. Mm. And when we gave the idea out, for some bizarre reason, they were also equally enthusiastic mm. and receptive to the idea. And you know, the students, I realized how, how unimaginably uh, bliss for they are to the idea of change mm. to make a positive impact mm. you give students just an idea and they will run with it yeah. and they will make sure it happens and it's almost selfishly they will do it as well mm. i remember one day i was walking down uh the quad and this student came up to me with a bucket 
and he said, oh, I'm fundraising. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, and he was selling Krispy Kremes mm. to raise money for charity. And I said, okay, where's the money going towards? Like, what charity is it? Because it's a charity towards maternal health. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, uh, that's, you know, that, that yeah. pulls, a, pulls one string or two. And I said, okay, where's which charity is it like, or, or where's the, which maternal health project are you su- supporting? He goes, oh, this is a project that's just started off and we're going to go support mothers in Bangladesh and we're going to revolutionize maternal mm-hmm. care. And I'm like, wait, one second. <laughs> I was like, what's the name of the charity? He goes, the name of the charity is Ma. Mm-hmm. I go, I, I didn't tell him who, who, like, what was Ma, who, who was Ma at that time. I just thought, wow. Mm-hmm. The fact that a student heard about the project I didn't directly speak to him about it just word of mouth mm-hmm. and he was out there in the hot sun raising mm-hmm. money for this charity I thought wow fantastic so one of the first projects we came up with was called Journey Ma mm-hmm. I experienced it and I shared my story w- with all of you but I wanted you to experience it as well I wanted everyone as many people as possible to experience why experience because there's one thing about hearing the story mm-hmm. but when you're out there and you see it with your own eyes mm-hmm. that's a whole different is, yeah. scenario and sending students from the UK to Bangladesh and running healthcare module, uh, like a health camp out there is almost unheard of yeah, at that time. Yeah. It was something that we always wanted to do, but it was quite difficult to do, mm. right? And for the first journey, Ma, again, we had yeah. Abdul and we had Ozzy. We had, uh, he was on Faisal, the show last week. Faisal, we had Faisal, Labib. We had two amazing uh, uh, ladies, Rima and Tasnim, mm. who were like, yeah, we're going to support this project. And just before we're going to go out, Bangladesh was hit by one of the most catastrophic terrorist attacks in Mm -hmm. its history, where unfortunately 22 people uh, passed away. Now, you need to imagine the situation that all of us were in. We went on live TV saying, we're going to go to this health camp, we're going to support it, we were fundraising for it. There was a lot of uh, pressure for Ma to also fail, unfortunately. Because you know when you're starting some, some things up, a lot of people will support you, and a lot of people won't give you all the encouragement that you need. And cause barriers. So we were under all of that pressure. And I was getting calls from left, right and centre in Bangladesh. Mm. Saying, listen, I don't think you should come to Bangladesh. It's red alert at the moment for foreigners. And that year, the journey my lead was Faisal. Mm. And Faisal comes up to all of us. And I was honestly ready to declare. I was like, listen guys, I don't think you should, guys should go. I'm going to go, but you guys shouldn't go. Mm. And Faisal said those, those words mm. that will be engraved in history in my heart forever. Mm. Which is... If we don't go, then these terrorists have won. Mm. Because what is the whole point of this, uh, of this, this thing they've done is to deter people from doing good. Yeah. And I believe, if we don't, then we have just won on that ripple effect of mm. events that they've caused. So we need to go on this trip. Mm. And that was. That was a big boost of confidence. Mm. Big boost of confidence. Then you have like said, I don't care, I'm going. And yeah. Abdul's like, I don't care, I'm going. I was sitting in the living room with your dad and your dad was just like, are you guys... He's, he was saying all the... As we do in medicine, we give all the risks and benefits. Yeah. And my dad's in the room as well. And then they both looked at me and said, are you sure you want to go? I said, what? I am definitely going to go. I think I remember because I went... Just before journey, my, I, I met you lot at the airport. And I remember they all met at yours or phases. Yeah, and phases like, yeah. Literally just before the flight, it was then again, are you guys sure you don't yeah, want to go? Do you want to go? The risk is there. Do you, and, I, I, and I remember I heard about it when you lot came and told me. So um, yeah. that in itself is amazing. And there's a beauty in that. Um, but I think that the cause in itself, regardless of us being friends and regardless that we knew each other, 
it could have been easily 10 other people that didn't know each other the cause in itself was so big and noble that it was enough to bring a group of people together yeah. um, and it was an alignment of visions like we were fully invested we didn't feel like so I, did, I felt like I had my own bit there yeah. where I wanted to go there because obviously with the projects and everything I had my own segment and everything and I wanted that to be implemented and I wanted to see it with my own eyes and we were all fully invested to see it in action with our own eyes and I think yeah. when you have a powerful group like that all invested all with one vision and now you've got a whole charity of like over f- hundreds of people with the same vision you get a very powerful powerful effect mm. from that I remember the night before when we were flying out it's funny you mentioned it. my dad was there and then you were there and then you went to my dad oh I said, we're going to revolutionise maternal care within 10 years yeah. <laughs> my dad's too- I've still got five years. It's twenty twenty five. I owe him that. My, so. my dad still every single time he sees you. I hope you. uncle's listening to this. <laughs> um, but that's what it is. It's like this like idea of revolutionizing maternal care came yeah. out because we were dead set to do it, yeah. but we didn't know how to do it how at that point. At all, yeah. We just thought the first step is to go over there, mm. meet the Bangladesh Mar team, and work together mm. and run these maternal health camps. So we get to the airport mm. and. <laughs> Like I contacted a few people like in the Bangladesh embassy, embassy before flying out because that would just be silly flying out yeah. to a, mm. a country where uh, a terrorist attack just happened. happened. And they, they welcomed us in the airport with mm. this battalion of police officers yeah. and everything. I felt so privileged that day. <laughs> I, I never felt so powerful. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Okay, so we got support. Mm. We got like a lot of ease came to my heart mm. because I knew the people I took with me were safe. Mm. They were in good hands. And then came the first... M- Ma, no, then we took you to the hospital, I believe. Mm. We went to the yeah. hospital and then you guys saw it yourself, the yeah. situation. Mm. And hopefully I could express what I saw clearly, but it's a whole different thing, isn't yeah. it? So, mm. so I like that's why I would recommend that staying forever in, in all of these journey Mars because seeing is believing. Like the story moves you, but when you see it, it shakes you. Um, and I think when you see it, it just changes. And I think that's why the vision is so vivid of what Ma wants to become. Because mm. we know what it looks like now and we know what it needs to look like. Um, so I, I really, that really opened my eyes up. My father even said to me, so when he used to fundraise for back home and want to do all these events, I always never appreciated who he's doing it for. It was mm. for the poor and needy. But who were the poor and needy? And I hadn't gone to Bangladesh for 17 years till you took me. And so when I saw it with my own eyes, then I realised what work is being done here and why it's needed and why it's being done. Um, so yeah, that was that was life-changing for me. Bro, I remember you still saying to me, I said, mm. I went into the hospital, but I came out ill. Mm. Yeah. When you said that to me, I was like, now you, you've understood the situation. Uh, if you were to describe it, obviously you can never describe it, but like the smell, the sight... Like, it will question everything you ever stood for. It will question and make you realise how privileged we are to kind yeah. of live in the Western world, have a Western healthcare system. And I think the beauty of seeing that, before we went and did the first health camp, kind of cemented our vision, cemented why we're here for, and it gave us that extra oomph for whatever you want to call it. Because if we did the health camps and then went, it would have been very different. But yeah. seeing that and then seeing the mothers, man, that was just... Yeah. your soul and, you know? and it was it was fueling us up because the health camp was it was another day where we had over hundreds and hundreds of mothers coming in and we had a few issues but the fuel from seeing yeah. 
all of that got us through it. Like we were, we were adaptable. We were changing. We were, we were going even though we were thirsty, hungry, dehydrated. Mm. It didn't matter what was. We didn't feel of that because mm. the end vision was mm. what we wanted to achieve. Going um, back to the first health camp, the issues. Oh, yeah. So we had someone. You know, you had the rickshaws with the big mics, yeah. and we mentioned that there was people. There was a free health camp happening in you know the village X Y Z, but one of the the, the fatal mistakes we done. Uh, we did it was not mentioning that it was specific for mothers yeah oh yeah yeah and then that morning we were just flooded with yeah. people like from all ranges geriatric patients all these patients oh man they were for everything ophthalmology cases everything so up that and day. we couldn't turn them away because it was a mistake from our side yeah. so the, on the first day we didn't just have a maternal health camp mm. we had a geriatric clinic we had an ophthalmology clinic, ophthalmology clinic. <laughs> i remember we were like there's pictures of us we were measuring the blood pressure of like elderly uncles in the corridor yeah, yeah. like it was you, you know what though it it's it, that moment you have to remember and it's a it's a message to our listeners as well that when you have a project expect mistakes mm. um, and learn from them expect from them and learn from them because that mistake we made we adapted straight away the next the day was day. like it was like we learned very yeah. quickly perfect mm. only mothers came in um <laughs> i remember ozzy uh, he I, I know he mentioned last week podcast he failed one of the years and he was in yeah. bangladesh when the results came out mm. and ozzy to us is like one of the like the most closest friends he's yeah. just such a bubbly mm. character mm. so when someone of that individual um fails the exam it hits you hard yeah, right perfect. yeah, yeah. But he bounced right back up, and I remember he doesn't speak a single word of English. But he, uh, Bangla, he speaks English. Yeah. He doesn't speak a, he doesn't speak a single word of Bangla. But he's there at the top floor managing the health checks yeah. and getting all the medical students around. Yeah, it was it was nice to see everyone in their element. But I was gonna say so. I was focused on, you know, kind of registration, looking after that side. I was just focused on... Abdul, on the registration, he was taking the... All the mothers who had to wait, <laughs> they used to come to Abdul. I know, they used to bombard me. Like, you're sitting there and you're trying to regulate and my Bengali isn't that great. And he's like, 35, 36 degrees uh-huh. Celsius and he's just there trying to look after these mothers. <laughs> Amza's there training and teaching these mothers oh, in his, uh, about, you know, safe pregnancy... And we had Labib there doing the media work. Mm-hmm. He had Tassim there doing the media work. Rima going back and forth, uh, running around. And it was just a second day and he was like, wow. Yeah. How was it for you? Yeah. So for us, we've talked yeah, about experience. What was, what was you, you seeing? So obviously you led it. You, you are the reason why we went there. How was it you from seeing it from the top? I see it in a certain light. I'm sorry, in a certain light. How was you seeing it all come into action? What was that like for you? The feeling is indescribable, yeah. Mm. The, first, the first day when it ended... I was livid mm. and I think I expressed that to all of you when we went back to that room and I said listen guys we've come here with a certain promise and I don't think we've delivered that promise properly mm. and the thing is we were all on the same wavelength and we were feeling exactly the same mm. and so when we went the second day and we just changed up we learned from those mistakes and we learned fast mm. and everything just came together that that feeling of being content was never higher for me that was one of the first times i felt okay you know what i feel good but there was still an element of me saying but this doesn't do this doesn't help much Mm -hmm. this is for me to go back that night and sleep in my bed and have a sense of euphoria and say oh you know what i did a bit of help Mm -hmm. today in the village i helped one person or two two people but it doesn't does it relate to sustainable change no it doesn't so that actually ignited a fire 
to make sure that what work we do is sustainable mm. and isn't on the back end because we hear a lot about voluntourism and mm. uh, and that and that such and that's important and that's one of the reasons why we made Ma into a grassroots organization where it, where we are supporting the Bangladesh Ma team yeah. they're the ones who are implementing the model and learning from it and we are supporting them in the act and when the first journey Ma finished I was ready for the next project we mm. came back and we were getting ready for the next journey Ma and then I was in the middle of my immunology degree. Yeah, we need to talk about <laughs> that as well. <laughs> I was in the middle of my immunology degree. Mm. I had I had to defer one of the exams uh, just because of timing, and I deferred the exam. And just before then, I was back to Bangladesh to make sure the second journey mile was going all all planned. And mm. it takes a lot of planning to get journey mile right, but thankfully we got everything ready. I came back to the UK. Oh, sorry, sorry, I was still in Bangladesh and then I get an email saying the exam you deferred in viruses and diseases yeah. was deferred on the date that Journey Mile was supposed to be in. <laughs> and I thought, no way. And I took a couple of minutes out and I thought, okay, what's more important to me? This degree or Ma? And it was a no-brainer. It was Ma, 100%. Mm-hmm. So I, go back on the, <laughs> I went back on my phone and I emailed the head of the immunology degree <laughs> program and I said to him, uh, unfortunately, the date you've given me is on the same day as a project I'm running. The uh, same project. audacity that the 16-year-old Nikhil had. <laughs> the yeah. same project. So you either have to change the date or, unfortunately, I can't do the exam. Mm. And then he sent an email back. And he didn't understand the passion I had for my, like, how yeah. invested I was. He goes, it sounds a bit silly that you're going to throw away an entire degree for... Mm just because you can't do this one exam. Like, I've done all the dissertation, I've done all the exa- all the other exams, it's just like one exam. And I said, I'm sorry, but this is a decision I have to yeah. make for, for the course. Mm. And I came back to the UK, and then I was having a few personal problems, like where my dad became quite unwell. Mm. And as I always do, I had my two bestest mm. friends, and I called up, I called up Abdul first. Abdul and I said, Abdul, I'm in a pickle. Mm. I've sorted everything in Journey Ma, mm. and... I'm meant to be the journey mile manager and take all these students over there. But I can't because my dad's unwell. Forget the degree, my dad's yeah, unwell. Yeah. And Abdul's like, I'll go, but Abdul has to come with me. Yeah. <laughs> and then... This was a week before <laughs> flying up. And then mind. I give Abdul a call and Abdul goes, bro, because he's the academic, yeah. right? He goes, you're throwing away your degree. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, nah, you need to go do that exam. Mm. And then I know the conversation yeah. happened between you two. Yeah. Maybe you want to talk about that. So, I think, so... At the time, it's so me. So we were at fourth year med school. So going into fourth year, this is the year that counts towards your like EPM to getting into like a good F one position. A week before, we we knew the plan for journey mile. We prepped for it. Akil was supposed to go, you know, um, and then I think he was in East London in Whitechapel. I remember walking and meeting Akil, and his dad was unwell. He basically he was about to throw it all the way throw a whole year's work just to make journey mile success, and it's like. It's a pickle, as in like, what do we do? Journey money to happen, and his dad's unwell, and I'm like, okay, fine. Either no, either thinking maybe it's the impulsive nature, and I thought, you know what? Focus on the exam. Look after that. I'll go Bangladesh, but I'll need Ams with me just to kind of support me. You know, for more support, he's just there, someone good. And I remember the back and forth between Ams. So I called Ams, and I told you the situation, and I remember you. You said to me, like. They are like our mothers. We have a responsibility towards them, and we need to go there regardless of what happens. He said, "Leave it with me. I'll call you back." And then, no, you no, did what you let, let me set the scene though. So you can imagine. So I'm a keen medical student. I've prepped and I've sort of 
gotten myself ready for clinics and yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. In a ready. week's time, we're ready for in a week's time. So I'm induction, ready. so yeah. Jenny Mark goes into like induction yeah. in the first days, you have to get signed I'm, up and I'm ready that. for my attendance, I'm ready for my, st- I've got my stethoscope shined and polished and ready. And then you called me up with this. Now the first I killed, now I'm livid at hearing that he's going to throw away a degree. Yeah. I was like, work it out somehow. Mm. I was like, you need to work it out somehow, but you need to do this exam. But then you called me after, yeah. and I was like, when I, when I said work it out, I didn't mean work it out by putting me into it. <laughs> okay, fine. And then, obviously, it's a week before, it's unplanned, it's going to a country, my mom doesn't know, my dad doesn't know, and it's just like, how can how can this all be so impulsive? Obviously, you lot, it's like... It's normal It's, it's yeah. like normal in your Trust nature. Me. For me, it's not planned. So, okay, fine. So, I just think about why we have to do it, and obviously, it, it was very important, because, again, invested in the end vision of Ma which is to completely revolutionise the maternal health scene. Now, so I was invested in it, but at the same time, I didn't want to risk my medical degree and didn't want to die on the process of that. Mm. Um, so I told my mum, by the way, when I say die, I meant my mum killing me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I told my mum, when I told my mum, I pitched it like this though, so I had to pitch it in a way that a six-year-old does. You have to say that your friend's mum is sending yeah. them and they said they can only go if you, you know. let them. So I told my mum, okay, so... And then in the end, I was like, okay, do you want to talk to Abdul's mom? Mm. And then he told his mom, yeah. do you want to speak to my mom? And the mom spoke eventually and they let us go. Yeah, I remember, um, like, um, I think the beauty of it was everyone understood the cause. Even my mom, she's like, yeah, look, they're medics and this is the life they chose and they're mm. going back and helping mothers. And, you know, there, there's a sense of pride, like, being proud of them. I remember, like, I used to come downstairs and I'm like, I'm just shout. And I put my phone in a bit of speaker. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to. My mom's not letting me go. My mom's not letting me go. So that, so my mom hears the conversation of me fighting to not go. Yeah. Very well knowing I am going to go. But <laughs> yeah. I just need to give the go ahead for my mom. But I think the fact that... But my phone was on speaker, but I was like, look, he's saying yeah. he doesn't want to go. He's going because of the vision but of the I dream. Think what Ma did, it, it brought a whole community together. It's not just the students. It's not just the doctors. It's our moms, our parents, the wider people exactly Bangladesh people and everyone was invested in this they knew the difficulties and struggles and that's where they are more if it was anything else I genuinely believe my mum wouldn't have let me you know by this time medical she's like you're doing X, Y and Z but you, there's no news of you graduating like you know yeah. you're doing all these projects when are you going to graduate but because they were so invested in it and the co- cause was so noble they were like you know fine go ahead and do and it and this was actioning what we were we were studying wasn't it we were studying for medical students for so long we haven't done anything and this was an opportunity to for them to also see us in action. But you two taking that step of going and it's, it's like a step in the unknown because you don't know what you're yeah. expecting. You're back on the flight and now you're responsible. For like 10 other people, <laughs> one like Pakistani, one like visa issues and like, and for the, before when the last year was, we all knew each other. Yeah. Like anything happens, we knew each other. This time it was with a bunch of people we did not know at all. And remember mindset wise, we were not even planning to go. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And you got on that plane and then one that like, some of the individuals when we met, like Tafsir, and, mm. uh, like he became the next, he took took over from uh, the head of academics. So these are individuals who then become very invested in the cause. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted Journey Ma to happen because I knew once they see it, mm. then they will become invested into the cause of what Ma is trying to, to push forward. Yeah. But I thought, personally, I would always have to be the one who has to go on Journey Ma. Mm. Yeah. But once I saw both of you go, I don't think you both understand what that meant for me. It led the path for Ma to become more sustainable. Mm-hmm. I always mention to you guys that I don't want Ma to end when I end. Mm-hmm. Or I don't want anything that happens to me be the cause for Ma to end. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was 
since day one, I would think about how can I detach myself from Ma so that it becomes its own entity mm. where it can run itself. Mm. And you both going to, on that trip without me being there was that first step. Mm. So when I was checking out the Facebook Live, and I still remember when I checked out yeah. the first day on Facebook Live mm. and I was watching it, I promise you I had a tear in my eye. I was like, wow, so mm. like this is crazy. Mm. There are a bunch of my closest friends mm. who are working with some very close people in Bangladesh and they're supporting about 150 mothers mm. every single day. Mm-hmm. So that then led to the way of having journey mom managers yeah. where every single year you have a journey mom manager and the year after that uh, Tafsir went with Nazia and then the year after that Yasmin went mm. and so that one problem mm. led to so much greatness mm, afterwards yeah. and so much independence in the charity and that's one of the things when you go in the, through those ups and downs and both of you have bore witness to mm the downs like you've yeah. probably mm-hmm. seen half of them definitely mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but those downs we've always been around those type of people who turn these downs into something special mm. yeah. we've we see a problem and we turn it into an opportunity and that's something that everyone like especially for the young viewers uh, who are listening in mm. you are going to go through the tough times 100 percent, you'll go through the tough times but what you make out of these tough times define who you are as a person and divi- defines the situation you're in mm-hmm. Um, and since that journey ma, we've had another two more successes. So we had four journey mas altogether. And remember, our vision was to revolutionize Metanoke, and we quickly came to the conclusion mm. that journey ma is not enough to do that. Mm. And that's what I loved about the team because we're very focused on the aim. Mm. Yes, on paper it looks fantastic. We've taken over thirty-five students. We've helped God knows how many uh, mothers on this project. But is journey ma enough to revolutionize Metanoke? And the answer was no. That's a very unique trait for a charity to have that self accountability to say that mm. their interventions aren't enough, mm. and I think the critical nature of Ma makes makes it what it is. And it, and I remember when it, when the opportunity was first pitched to me, it, it, I'm so happy to see that it still exists. Mm. The the ability to say I'm sorry, but we failed, or I'm, this isn't enough, or the, the euphoric feeling of having done a hundred blood pressures, given out a hundred paracetamols and aspirin doesn't do it it doesn't it's it's not enough it's not revolutionizing and i think that's what will take it towards the revolution so we went back to the drawing board and remember these are students who are Mm. in these drawing boards yeah we have the professors that we go and Mm. show the projects to but these are students who are creating the projects and one of the projects that you came up with was the hubspoke model Mm. it was just connecting people towards a central place where they can go and get the immediate care and that house model developed to having community health workers, to having specialised doctors, to having women's groups, all a part of it. Now, the housework model is something that can revolutionise maternal care, but then we took it to the next stage where mm-hmm. the whole idea of Mark Connect came out. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark Connect is a digital health platform that can honestly revolutionize maternal care if it's mm. integrated with the Hubspoke model properly mm. and getting calls from let's say India to come and pitch yeah. uh, this Mark Connect app shows you that you're in the meeting with let's say the director of the the national health mission and they're saying what is this project you have that we're because we're interested in it and you show it to them they're like you know what we want to have mm. a part of this we want to pilot this project yeah. it shows you the weight of the project and that's because again of the self-accountability saying that these journey mark projects are enough we need to take it to the next level yeah. mm. and now I'll, I'll be honest and you both know this I'm not a very techie individual I don't even have a laptop mm. so then going to let's that, say <laughs> if you're not having a laptop is the most frustrating thing ever <laughs> like I know to a certain degree like um 
I don't use the fancy apps. I'm not a productivity guru. I'm not those cool guys on YouTube. We're old school. Me and Akil were old school. We've always been like that. Ams is probably a bit more further down the line. But saying a document or something, we're having very intense, long, very meetings. And it's all done on a whiteboard. And I think that's become a signature thing for you. But I think the ability for you to have a vision and then kind of explain it to us and then get us mobilized and achieve that is a key skill you have. Um, I was going to say, how does how did Ma make that transition from being a student body full of students to all of a sudden working with all the leading professors across the country, working with the you know ex directors mm. of Mercer Health and in, in WHO? How does it do that? How does it make it do that jump? Because a lot of societies starts off at university and they dwindle they, they they lose fire and then that's it people start working and it loses how did you manage to take it to that next level being in medical school and going through medical school i should i didn't give medical school the worth or the the promise it needed from me in the sense that whilst everyone was revising i was in some random village in bangladesh trying to figure out how to do the next project right yeah <laughs> and then when i come back for exams i had about less than a week to revise for exams and pass mm. for me passing was never a worry i feel like everyone in medical school can pass if you give mm. uh enough time, enough time. Get and a threshold of time you need to give it to yeah you. a threshold of time if you give that you'll pass the exams right mm. and as i knew early on what i wanted to go in which was global half and making sure Ma was established, I was more than happy to dedicate all that time. And the reason why I'm saying this is because if you're going to do something like this or you're going to do a venture or mm. a program or any sort of project, mm. be sure that you are going to have to give your 100% investment into it because if you don't, then you're doing a disservice to the organization. Mm, yeah. So when I went into Ma, I said that I'm going to give 100% of what I can into it. And by doing so, all these extra opportunities came up and one thing I realized from university is, yeah, you're paying 9K, but you're not paying 9K for a certificate. Mm. You're paying 9K for all the opportunities attached to it. Mm. And these, and going to somewhere like Kingsborough, these world-renowned mm. uh, professors were part of it. I just went up to one and I said, can I speak to you? And mm. I spoke to them, showed them the project, and getting that one advisor meant the world to us because mm. that became the domino effect for yeah. all of these individuals to come. And I remember just before my medical final exams, professors then end up calling me mm. saying, listen, we've heard of Ma and we want to become a part of the project. Mm -hmm. Where you are a medical student and these are the mm. top-notch professors here. Yeah. Yeah. They give you a, they're starting to find your number and giving you a call to say, we want to work on this project that you're on. And then going into becoming a doctor and knowing that you know your project has helped 3,000 pregnant mothers. I've mm. supported over 700 mm. young girls. There is a sense of accomplishment attached to it. But that's, again, because of the people around me. And number two, because we gave it 100%. Mm -hmm. And I remember, Ams, you even mentioned just before when you took a, a time break from Ma, mm -hmm. you said the reason why I'm taking a break from Ma is because I can't give it my 100%. Mm -hmm. And having this sort of mentality is what causes us to have the accomplishments we do, having the contracts we do, the partnerships we do, the advisors we do. Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, I think if we continue doing this, Way to see, like, Mark Connect is blowing up. Like, mm. it's part of the King's Entrepreneur this Program. This is sponsored by Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we've kind of talked about where it's, how Mark started, where it's going, and we're kind of going to digitalize maternal health. Um, how, so as a medical student, we all have time. How did, so you 
graduated last year and you became a junior doctor how do you still be as ambitious as you were then if not more whilst you've been a medical doctor yet you also moved out from home you know you're in a whole different place to london how do you still do all of that and still do it as in i haven't seen a day after all of this where ma has slowed down a bit if anything it's sped up how do you manage that because there's a lot of people that want to do things but are worried i don't want to mm. forsake medicine definitely. definitely i had the same question when i was a medical student because a lot of students would say how are you running a charity but become by running medical school at the same time and passing exactly, these exams yeah. right <laughs> the funny thing is most of these universities i i applied to and i got rejected through mm. like cambridge and st george's and everything then i get invited to come and speak to these students yeah. about <laughs> it so that was a funny thing and i would share it like the university especially i applied to like yeah. st george's yeah. Yeah. i went up to them i said look listen last time i was here is when i i failed mm. and i wasn't accepted mm. so that that does give me a sense of like um a it's a milestone yeah. it's a milestone in my head yeah like yeah. i'm going somewhere but at the end there was always a Q&A session and they will ask me the same question how do you make time and i will give them this homework i will say to them for the next one week i want you to do exactly what you're doing the same but i want you to count the number of hours you're revising every single day real revision mm. yeah not the dosing around in the library the real revision yeah. And I want you to count the amount of hours you try to revise. Mm. So we might be in the library from 9 to 5, but we revise from 12 to 1, mm. right? Yeah. So 12 to 1 is uh, maybe the one hour, or 12 to 2, let's say, the mm. two-hour revision, proper revision mm. you give, unless you're AMS, where you yeah. give the actual... Yeah. <laughs> a full 12 hours, and you, you render yourself unconscious from revision. <laughs> I have a witness to that. I have heard the, the clap of the head. That was, that was the early years. That was the early the years. The normal same, but I'm telling the, the story. Average Joe, like me, for me, it takes like 20 minutes, half an hour, one hour. Hour, a yeah. walk, a toilet to a trip, yeah. a walk around campus to start revising, <laughs> coming in at nine, fine. So, so you, you, you go in the library from nine to five, but you revise 12 to two um, and continue doing that and create a log for the next one week, how many hours you're actually revising mm. and how many hours you attempt to revise. By the end of the week, I promise to you, every day you're probably revising max two to three hours, right? Yeah. And the rest of the time you're just spending for yourself to believe that you're revising. Yeah. Now, get those hours and also that you've revised and now in the next week just spend that much time in the library yeah. so you're spending instead of spending nine to five in the library you're going to spend the 12 to two in the yeah, library yeah. and that is a quantitative measure but it's not a qualitative measure because now you only know you have two hours to revise so you're going to make sure yeah, the quality of the work is going to be greater and that time you've just freed yourself with now you put into your projects you, you know what saying that uh, that's the piece of advice pretty much that changed my life as well because I think everything you can put in a certain amount of effort and time and then the gain of it plateaus out so like you just said I spent 12 hours revising but the same amount I could probably spend three hours and I would the difference in the extra nine hours would be maybe extra mark or two mm-hmm. extra three or four marks but the hours that you save that you can dedicate to something else and absolutely excel in it um, is just huge. The gain there is huge. And so that's what keeps me going as well. That understanding of we're wasting a lot of hours doing a lot of things that give us a false belief of we're accomplishing mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And then when we start to sort of resource allocate it appro- appropriately towards the project. So when people say I don't have time for something, I never buy it. Because people, how many hours do you spend on Netflix? How many hours do you spend on social media? Mm. X, Y, and Z. When people say I don't have enough time, that almost goes to the point of it becomes annoying because you, yeah. you don't have time for things that you don't make time for in mm, a sense exactly. that if you want to do it you're just going to go and do it yeah, like do it. when I started uh, as a junior doctor mm. 
yo, that was a whole different experience. Moving mm. out. Yeah. Uh, my mom was in the hospital. Uh, my dad was going on Hajj. Yeah. Um, so leaving my siblings behind and starting work. And I didn't even get an accommodation because I didn't have time to get accommodation, right? So I just went with my suitcase <laughs> to, the, yeah. to hospital. <laughs> to hospital. Well, what did you expect for them to just house you? And they and they did, and they housed me that day. Mm-hmm. Well, they housed uh, you out of like necessity. A junior uh, doctor's homeless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm still down. living there. <laughs> yeah. But they were very kind. Like you're not squatting, are you? <laughs> no, no, I'm not squatting. Okay. And um, so living there, and the first month is different, isn't it? As a junior yeah. doctor, I'm sure you spoke about it again and again. But when you're hit there in the deep end with the on-call bleep, mm. the red bleep, and you're running around and you're getting yeah. nurses saying, oh, you need to come see this patient yeah. and this doctor's then yeah. seeing this it's patient. It's a whole new world, isn't it? It's a whole new world. But then you make time because you understand the game. You know how it works. Yeah, you know what right. what's important, what's not important, where the hours are, how to make, how to turn the minutes into hours by yeah. bringing it together. And then you can continue the project. And I love being a doctor, but I've made, you know, I've come to the conclusion, I was just speaking to you before the podcast, mm that I'm leaving medicine after F2 because mm. Ma is, deserves my time. Mm. I've gone into it, I've put the project in, uh, taken it to this level, but to take it to the next level and to fulfill the promise I've made with the community, mm. especially with everyone who's donated, who's part of the project, who's mm. putting their blood, sweat and tears into the project, for me to do that, I need to go full-time into this project. So after F2, this is the vision, going to full-time Ma. And I promise to you, and you both know this, that Ma will revolutionize maternal mm, care. Yeah. It will be in a position where it will be one of the biggest charities, uh, not just because of the sake of being big, mm. but because the work we're doing is needed. Mm. But the end goal of Ma, yes, is to revolutionize maternal care, but what is the end goal of Ma? I know the answer to this. <laughs> the end goal is so that Ma does doesn't not exist. exist. Mm. It doesn't exist. I do not want Ma to exist. Mm. And that's the truth of it. Why is that? Charity work is, we work so big to become the biggest organization so we help the, all these people. But I want Mars work to be so effective that we've helped all the people we need and Mars doesn't need to exist. Yeah. Once that happened, I'm a different, like, I'm come, done. Come back into F3. I'm no, I, do, I, think, I think it's the only one platform, venture, you know, a non-profit NGO that its end goal is, this, is to cease to exist. And that is yeah. when you truly, truly like you've done what you have done and i think we're very specific in the goals in terms of ma we know what we want to do we know where we're going to head obviously there's been obstacles but the beauty of ceasing to exist is is in itself that's purity that's purity in your vision and i think that's complete pureness there's nothing to say about that you're pure in your goal and i just can't wait that day when it doesn't exist and I don't mean it in a negative no, way I definitely I don't think it's going to happen in my generation it might not yeah. but there is one person who's going to come from the generations to come mm-hmm. who's going to make Ma so successful that Ma mm-hmm. doesn't have to exist and that your, your dad said 2025 <laughs> <laughs> Re- Re- I don't have a zero to that <laughs> I don't know a zero revolution and maternal care uh, mm-hmm. the more I look into it like we were young then we said it we said this is a, these are brave statements. People yeah. like hesitate. Mm. People shake before mentioning these, mm. uttering these words. But we used to say it because we were young. Mm. But now when you get into the field, you understand how difficult the, the problem is. Mm. No, 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 but Akira, I'm going to challenge you on that. It's, it's that bra- bravery and that naivety where you're demanding for your medical school placement, where you're yeah. willing to make mm. those statements, where it's gotten you this far. And I, and I think you shouldn't stop. I think you should carry on. Because these crazy statements that you keep yourself accountable to mm. is it's it's rocketed you like five years down the line and you're here now with a mm. global charity 
that it, it's those words that it, it's based upon definitely uh, but i do understand what you mean by yeah. it's crazy statements to mm. me it's absolutely crazy how can you say that one uh, of the advice i would like to give your viewers mm-hmm. because starting I'm, i'm sure there's a lot of people who mm-hmm. want to know how to make a charity yeah. or how to get how to not just make a, a, a national charity an international mm-hmm. charity and take it to this level and the one piece of advice i'll give them that i always give to myself is two words be present mm-hmm. be present every aspect so what do i mean by that in your meetings when you're with your team you're present when you're outside and your team needs you you're present when you're in a negotiation in a partnership be present don't think about your past don't think about the future for example you're going to medical school you're going to do an, the interviews for your medical school placement think about the interview right there and there if you and the problem they're facing you uh, they're stating to you mm. Because if you start thinking, is this interview going to work out? Am I going to fail this? If I don't fail this, I ain't going to get into mm. medical school. My mom and dad's going to bang me up. <laughs> All of this stuff, yeah? Mm. You're going to fail. Mm. So whenever I go to a partnership or negotiation with the government or anybody, I think about that pro- that meeting just there and there. Like, for example, this podcast, I'm thinking about how can I provide worth to your viewers? How mm. can I give them a piece of information that might help them? Mm. Might not help them in a great length, but even the smallest amount, yeah. how can I give that information? That's my sole aim right now. I'm not thinking about the fact that tomorrow is Eid or I'm not thinking about my mom needs a shopping list and X, Y, Z. I'm not thinking about that. I'm just thinking about this. Once you are present, that helps so much in every aspect of your life. Mm, I agree. And I'm I have a little confession for both of you. Mm. I don't watch the scrubbing videos. Mm. And there's a reason why I don't watch it. Mm. Yeah. Because... For me, I want to save all them up so that in when I'm 65 if I get to that age, I always just want to sit down and I want to listen to your voices, I want to listen to all the other voices. I want to watch all of them. I just like you know a Netflix where you yeah, just binge just watch. Binge. I just want to binge watch all of them. Why do I say that? A lot of the the people who have come before me in the, in the mm-hmm. podcast are our friends as well. Mm-hmm. And I love hearing about their story and w- what they've gone through. But right now for me it's not time to reminisce. Mm. We have so much time. We're in the present moment. Yeah. Let's bring all those stories in the future and listen listen it to together. Mm. And this is like a history. This is like one of those things I'm going to be on my so computer. We're going to get a million views in 50 years yeah. cuz of this guy. Cuz of this guy we're going to get a million views not now but later. And we're going to reminisce in the future, mm. but what you both are doing are fantastic because you're creating mem- memories mm. but let's continue creating stories mm-hmm. let's continue Absolutely. going that one step further when someone says no we say what yeah. <laughs> what what do you mean <laughs> no we're going to go forward mm. and we've had enough we've heard enough no's mm. and coming from a state school mentality i think when someone pushes you down you go no nah, we're going to get back up yeah. and that's that's the success not saying that grammar school and private schools can't do that definitely they can but it's just having that mentality of just being uh malleable but also rigid mm. in your approach absolutely definitely i think we've we've talked talk for a fair bit um we could talk for days and you know we could talk about the car accident we've had oh yeah <laughs> we'll save that for another time but um i think there's a lot of gems a lot of wisdom has been passed and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show um you continue to inspire me on a day-to-day basis i have learned so much from you and i continue to learn from you um and a massive thank you to all the listeners my is an amazing charity they've done amazing things and they will continue to do amazing things long after we've come and gone um if you are interested if you are interested in my personal health i know a lot of the, the listeners are interested in us and guy do reach out check out the website check out the instagram 
We're always looking for new, innovative people, people that can help make a difference. We'll put all the links below. Um, and we just want to thank you again. I think you said it all. Definitely. Uh, you said it all. Thank you for having me. Michael, thank you for coming. Um, and just echo what Abdul said. 100% thank yeah. you for, no and also thank you for supporting me man you guys are the reason why Mars the foundation um, and feel emotional when we're 65 when we're 65 we'll be emotional <laughs> thank you thank you for listening and we'll see you all next week stay safe and we'll see you soon